welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Each episode of the Open Government Podcast, we bring you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today we have Andrew Fogg, the founder and chief data officer of Import.io, an online tool that allows individuals to extract web data without having to write a single line of code. And if that wasn't enough, Import.io even allows you to create custom APIs. So, Andrew, what you and your team have been able to put together is nothing short of amazing. And I'm wondering if you could give us a few examples of how this tool has been used so far. Um, so, as you said, import turns allows users to turn anywhere, navigate to a website, turn that into extract data from that website, or turn it into a live API um, without writing any code. You basically give um, the platform some uh, example web pages. You navigate around a website showing it where the data is that you want. And then we learn from that to work out where the data is on the page. And we can then extract it for all of the pages on the website. So we see uh, lots of people doing lots of different things, um, principally private individuals, companies, etc. And some of my favorite use cases, one, I've, if I start with one example, my favorite use cases around places. So people are using, we're working with a lot of the maps providers who are using it to pull what's known as points of interest data out of store locators on, um, on maps websites. Uh, so for example, when, so that when Starbucks opens a new store, and that what they do is they go and they add it to starbucks.com slash store locator. And then what we do using, you know, what, what people do using our technologies, pull that data from the store locator webpage, and then it goes, it goes into the maps so that when you open a maps application on your phone or on your uh, GPS device in your car, you can see the latest um, Starbucks stores, where they are, their opening hours, their up-to-date addresses, et cetera. Another use case we see a lot of people uh, we see a lot of use in pricing data. So um, an example would be um, we actually see quite a few electronics manufacturers using imports to basically um, monitor the prices for products in particular product categories. So hard disk drives, for example. Um, they're basically pulling down the data for all the hard disk drives that they can find on the web. Um, the the product names, all the product features, um, you know, the number of the storage it has in gigabytes, um, whether it's a solid state hard disk drive or a spinning hard disk drive, whether it's a network disk drive or a, an external one or an internal one. And then they're using that data to create models for pricing so that when the product division in the electronics company says, hey, we've got a new disk drive to release to market, um, then the guys in the marketing department can work out some of the, the pricing strategy. And a, a, third, uh, a third and final use case, and I kind of leave it there, would be um, another nice example we see is with jobs data. So that when what's the one, what happens is when a, a, a company or an organization um, advertises a job and they go and put it on the you know, the careers page of the company website or the organization's website. Um, we have recruitment companies using our technology to basically pull that data off the careers page as soon as it appears so that the, and then so that the person who's responsible for that company gets a notification in the morning um, telling them to, uh, 
you know, to ring to ring their the person who they have the relationship, but their the client in order to respond to the advert. So to be it's gonna kind of like it's sort of lead generation for recruitment companies. Do those three examples make sense? Those are great. But uh, I, I have a bit of a two-part question here is that uh, all three examples are basically kind of private sector examples. Do you get uh, people uh, requesting kind of public sector data, trying to get stuff from government websites or other kind of public sector entities? We do quite a lot. In fact, one of my favorite things of seeing how our tool is used is when it's used on government and public data um, or when it's in fact, we have some examples of when it's used to inform government and public data as well. Um, so I've got a couple of examples. One is a, there's a company called Huddle, and uh, they are a technology startup based in San Francisco. And what they do is they deal with a lot of, they are a, like a, a document management company, and they have a lot of, um, basically they deal a lot with the American government, and they, so that the what they the way they use imports on government data is there is a the Department of Defense has a website at defense.gov slash contracts where basically the Department of Defense every day publishes a list um in like paragraph format of all of the contracts that are, that were awarded that day. And for a company like Huddle, that's basically a these are companies like Lockheed Martin and you know, basically private defense contractors who have just won defense contracts with the U.S. government and who they know need to be using uh, software like Huddle for their um, document management purposes because it's, uh, they're one of the preferred suppliers with the Department of Defense. Um, so they're basically using import to pull that data straight off the Department of Defense website, straight into, a, again, a salesperson's um, inbox so that they can kind of keep on top of all of the all of the contracts that come through from the Department of Defense. So to risk perhaps, you know, making making your company obsolete, <laughs> have you actually reached out to government to say people are asking for these kinds of things, why don't you just open it up or is that something you plan on doing? Um, short answer is no, because if you, I think there's actually in this sector, in this area, there's been a failure of um, people trying to do it from the inside out. And what our technology allows data users to do is to get at data from the outside. So if I'm outside an organization and the data is, but the data is published on the public web um, across lots of web pages or behind a search box, if there's not an API, then there's nothing I can really do about it. And the chances of having, you know, of getting a, a public organization to respond to my individual data requests and build an API just for me and for other people. It might not be, it's, very, it's not very likely that these are at the top of people's, uh, at the top of organizations' priority right. lists. Technologies like ourselves that make these sorts of getting data out of websites easier um, improves the accessibility for data but without having to go and sort of submit a freedom of information request or wait for an agency to make a data set or an API available. Um, it's just a quick way of doing it. This is a free service. This is a free tool that anybody can use at any time and in any way. So my, my number one question, and I'm assuming many people have this same question, how do you remain sustainable? Like what's your business model if you're not selling this service, at least not to the public? Is there a different way 
that 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 keeps you solvent? Uh, so we we've got some amazing investors behind us who are helping us grow out the technology. The ambition for the business is to have an API behind every single website and a, every, the whole of the web. Oh wow! To, to all of the data on the web to be available over an API automatically with no training so that the organization doesn't have to build an API and indeed the user or the data consumer doesn't have to go and use a tool like Import.io to train imports to build an API for it, just the data is available. So we are basically putting a lot of that investment that when we're taking into making these technology automatic. Um, uh, and that have, so that's what we're, we've and basically the people who are working with us kind of bought into that vision and that's what we're doing. The, there is a, this is a business though, it's not a charity, and the kind of long-term vision of where this is going is if we crack this problem of um, making, getting data out of the web completely automatically and completely uh, without any kind of user or human intervention, then we are in a position to be one of the world's largest data providers. We've started selling some of the, basically we use our own technology to um, build data sets. And with some, uh, with some of our users, we do, they do, we do actually charge them to um, get data sets for them, if that makes sense. So yeah. basically pe- companies have come to us, they've been using the technology for free, and they say, you know, this is great. We just want to scale it up. Now we want hundreds of thousands of websites rather than a thousand or a hundred that we've managed we, to do ourselves. Yeah. Can you just provide us that give the data for us? And that's what we're doing. And we're kind of charging for that. Well, that's interesting. Instead of saying like you've done it maybe with like Starbucks and, and a couple of places here and there, but the companies will come to you and say, we want all the coffee shops. Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. We want all the retail locations for all of the retailers in the US. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull you out into the future for a little bit um, and, and maybe appeal to your bleeding heart a little bit. And if someone came to you, you know, five years down the road and said, oh, someone used import to change the world for the better, what would you see that case study looking like? What do you think people could use it to, to change the world? So um, <laughs> the, the reality is I see the technology changing individuals worlds every day so people are using this to you know break uh, data journalists uses quite a lot to break stories around um oxfam just did a big case using data from us um looking this was last year looking at um wealth inequality so there's you know online there's the forbes rich list um that if you are interested in kind of the you know the top top 1%, the Forbes rich list is a good place to start. That data set's there, it's available on the Forbes website, but there's no API for it, it's not possible to download the data set. So working with Forbes and ourselves, Oxfam basically were able to build an API to that data set and then do analysis on it to then sort of um, basically communicate a message to readers of newspapers like The Guardian, etc., about you know, the widening wealth inequality that there is in the world and sort of to draw attention to that. We're also seeing ways in which um, being able to calculate, basically we're also seeing ways in which getting data from the web allows you to measure the world in different ways and that having impact upon things like 
GDP figures. So, for example, something um, we did last year um, in the UK, what is... In the, in the European Union, there's been a, a new... Last year, uh, a piece of legislation came into effect requiring that all EU member states include the, um, the proceeds of all transactions where all parties' consent had to be included in national accounts. So this includes the sale of drugs, this includes the sale of... Um, um, prostitution and escorting services. Um, and they released their statistics and it amounted to 0.4% of GDP. We did uh, some work um, independently and we're now working with the ONS on this um, to basically try and... Because we looked into the figures of how they calculated these stats. And basically, I mean, they've done a great job because it's very, it's a very... This is a... This is like the, these are illegal activities, many of them, or at least some of, certainly with um, escorting, a lot of the um, associate, a lot of the acts associated with escorting are illegal. And it's a difficult area of the economy to measure. Um, and what they'd done is they'd found a study from 10 years ago that um, managed, that, that measured the number of prostitutes in one area of London. Um, and then they tried to kind of, extrapolate that to the rest of the UK. So it's kind of like 10 years data, lots of assumptions and hypotheses. We were able to use web data to recalculate that figure, um, basically double what we we, th- we think they under underestimated some of the numbers that went into the calculation of that. And if you run those numbers, if you run the GDP figures again with those new numbers in them, it, it results in about, in terms of dollars, um, about another $15 billion, I think, added to the UK economy. And it's kind of like, it's, it's nearly a percentage point of GDP. Oh. And, you know, that's the difference between, for an economy, that's the difference, for a mature economy, it's the difference between um, recession and not. Well, it's pretty amazing what, uh, what what you guys have been able to do. And and you guys, you know, Google is trying to organize the web you guys are trying to turn it all into an API. So oh, congratulations, and I hope uh, you, you're, you achieve your mission. And thank you for joining us today on top of it all. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Andrew Fogg from San Francisco on the Open Government Podcast. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Fogg or through his tool at import.io. And, of course, you can always send us questions on the hashtag at OGTPod. Thanks again to Keith McDonald for the podcast music. Until next time, I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon with our next interview with someone in the open government community.